0: Good morning. Our scripture reading for today is taken from the book of Daniel, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, beginning with verse 25 of chapter 2. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions in your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people, It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and an incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, King Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon pondered... The stability and the fate of his rapidly growing empire, very young empire, moving quickly, expanding quickly, a lot to manage, a lot to cover. In the great city of Babylon, the great city that he had rebuilt to the praise of his own name, in the midst of that, a troubling dream woke him up, kept him awake. And it put him so much on edge that he very quickly and irritably, having a lack of sleep, decreed to execute all the wise men, right? all the professional diviners and dream interpreters of the kingdom of Babylon. Right? That's how upset and bothered he was by this dream. He wanted to execute them for something that, frankly, was unreasonable, something he challenged them to do that really nobody under heaven could do. Tell him what his dream was. Without him giving them any clues, tell them the contents and the nature of his dream. And you could read all those details uh, in the first half of Daniel chapter 2 before what Judy read, Daniel 2 verses 1 through 24. Uh, Today we're going to cover the second half of the chapter. All right, so, so the king is distraught trying to understand what his dream could possibly mean. Now, in those days and in that part of the world, dreams were a big deal. Actually, in that part of the world, in the Middle East, um, dreams are a big deal. If you've met, ever met anyone from the Middle East, uh, they will tell you how important dreams are to them. Uh, many people who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, Christianity is quite exploding in Iran and surrounding regions, Uh, they will tell you that they have had very important dreams on the road to them becoming Christians. Uh, Well, thousands of years ago in that same part of the world, dreams were a big deal. Nebuchadnezzar knows this dream is very important. It startled him, it frightened him, and he doesn't know what it means. But Daniel, Daniel the refugee from Judah, Daniel the rookie wise man, after some prudent action and fervent prayer, was able to tell the king his dream, the contents of the dream, and then even interpret the dream's meaning. Naturally, Nebuchadnezzar was amazed, right? And then, and then what, ha- what follows is Daniel and his friends are promoted, and all the wise men in Babylon are spared um, an unjust, grisly death. And, and this, this refugee's god… The God of Israel was praised in a foreign and pagan land. We're we're learning how the book of Daniel shows how people who are faithful to the God of the Bible can flourish in challenging circumstances, how they can flourish in a society, in an environment or a culture that is no longer sympathetic to the faith that is described in Scripture. And what we are going to begin to discover starting here in Daniel chapter 2 is this remarkable theme that will continue to unfold throughout the book of Daniel. And the theme is essentially this, while the world makes plans to build its legacy, God has revealed His own plans for His. The world's, its leaders, its kingdoms, its movements have plans to lift themselves up over those who have gone before them, to leave a legacy for themselves that will endure. And all the while that happens, and has always happened throughout history, God has revealed in Daniel and in the Scriptures, and ultimately in His Son, Jesus Christ, His own plans for His own everlasting kingdom. That really is essentially the message of the book of Daniel, and it will begin to unfold more dramatically and with more detail in exciting ways as we pursue this story through the next, uh, the next ten chapters. Uh, but for now, uh, we're going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar's legacy, and we're going to talk about Daniel's legacy, and then we're going to actually talk about the legacy of the God of the Bible. And what, what I mean by the word legacy is something you hand down to those who come after you. Generally legacy is what what you're trying to pass on, okay? So Nebuchadnezzar's legacy, Daniel's legacy, and God's legacy. Nebuchadnezzar's legacy was one of, I'm going to refer to it as, intended preeminence. Preeminence meaning the greatest, the best, the most important, the highest. Nebuchadnezzar's legacy was one of intended preeminence. He wanted to be great. Frankly, he was great. He was a great leader. Not saying he was good, but he was great. He knew he was great. Archaeological evidence reveals Nebuchadnezzar knew of his greatness and he wanted his greatness to be known, not only for the whole world, he wanted history to remember his greatness. It's evident, and we'll see in the coming weeks, it's evident in the things that he built. And some of the things that he said. And the reason you can even see that, you get a glimpse of that right here in in what you see in Daniel chapter 2, verse 29. When Daniel was about to reveal to the king that he knew the contents of the king's dream and was about to interpret it for Nebuchadnezzar, he makes this comment. He says, to you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts came thoughts of what would be after this. So, right there you see that Nebuchadnezzar was contemplating the destiny of his empire and the legacy of his own reign. And I think according to the context, it's very reasonable to say he was worried about all of it. He had accomplished so much, so quickly, so much to manage, so much to oversee. He's on edge. He just makes this irrational decree to kill all the wise men for doing something that you know, for not being able to do something that would have been impossible anyway, to read his mind, right? So much to manage, so much to think about. And, and there he is on his bed at night thinking about what will happen to all of this that he has built? How will he maintain it? Who will maintain it when he's gone? Why, how will he be remembered? Right? And in the context of all of that, he learns that the God of the defeated Israelites is wiser than the gods of Babylon. Daniel goes on to say to him, And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what is to be. And so then he begins to tell the king, This was your dream because God had revealed it to Daniel after much prayer. And uh, then he's going to interpret it, right? So, we're going to do a little bit of, of a recap on what the dream was about and Daniel's interpretation of it. So, he basically says to the king, look, you had this dream and there was this, this, this enormous figure, this statue in your dream and it frightened you, okay? We don't know what the statue looked like. It was in Nebuchadnezzar's mind. We can only imagine. But Daniel says, you saw, you saw this great and powerful and shining figure and it had a head of gold, And he basically says later on, he says, the the gold, the head of gold, that's you, O king. You rule over everything. That head of gold is you, and it represents your kingdom of Babylon, verse 38. But then he says, uh, uh, another kingdom after yours, inferior to yours, but another kingdom is represented by the silver chest and arms of this figure. Now, as we read later on in the book of Daniel, more amazing visions are are coming for us. Daniel chapter 8 reveals the identity of that next kingdom. It would be the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. But Daniel says there's a third kingdom that is represented by the bronze middle and thighs of this statue… And again, as we look later into Daniel and into Daniel chapter 8, that next kingdom, that third kingdom would be revealed to be the kingdom of Greece. This is amazing because Daniel is, Daniel is, is revealing all of this to Nebuchadnezzar hundreds of years before these things were to take place in history. Now, Daniel reveals there is a fourth kingdom represented by the iron legs of this figure that you saw in your dream, O king. You look at verse 40. Something interesting, though, about the iron. The legs were composed of iron, but the feet were composed of a mixture of iron and clay. And Daniel comments on this mixture, the the feet of clay and iron, and he says in verse 42 this. This is the commentary. He says, this kingdom, this fourth kingdom, will be partly strong and partly brittle. Uh, Joyce Baldwin, who has a great little commentary, excellent little commentary on Daniel, she makes this point about these four types of metal and the clay and what they ultimately represent. She says "What this, this, this partly strong and partly brittle mixture in the statue's feet, it represents it's a symbol of an intrinsic weakness in the, kingdom of its, in the kingdom itself, the fourth kingdom, which in some ways would be the greatest and most powerful and most destructive because it's made of iron, would also be weak. There's an intrinsic weakness in it, all right? Um, there's kind of an Achilles heel almost. And she says, uh, it represents that this kingdom would seek to unite elements which will not coalesce. In other words, she writes, men devise schemes but they are unsuccessful. And so, she sheds light on the meaning of this vision. See, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, uh, the statue, the four types of metals representing four, uh, three kingdoms to come after Babylon, it is a dream that illustrates the nature of human governments. The, this is an illustration of what human governments are like. One comes after another And despite their many differences, they all eventually fail. They rise and they fail. That's what they have in common. But they have something else in common, according to Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel reveals also that when the king had this dream, uh, lo and behold, a stone was cut out not by human hands. That's important. So this isn't a human thing that's taking place, but a stone is cut out not by human hands. And, and it strikes the statue at the base. It strikes those compromised iron mixed with clay feet, and it shatters them. And from the foundation, one kingdom after another begins to crumble. The statue from the feet upward begins to crumble and all falls apart. And most interesting, uh, Daniel says, in your vision, O king… The statue crumbled, and then that stone it grew into a mountain that filled the entire earth. And Daniel would go on to say, in verse 40, 40, 44, he would interpret he would interpret the meaning of that stone. He said, "In the days of those kings, meaning the fourth kingdom, the kingdom of iron. In the kingdom of iron and clay. That's one kingdom. He said, In those days, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. He said that that kingdom shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So while Nebuchadnezzar is busy building his empire and his legacy, the one, true guide, the one true God through Daniel reveals his own plan for his own kingdom building. Right? God is essentially saying to Nebuchadnezzar, Okay, you've got your plans? Fine, I'm going to tell you what mine are. And there, Nebuchadnezzar and, and all the wise men. Right? So, so, Nebuchadnezzar, he has plans for his own preeminence right? And then all the wise men, they they are preeminent. They're the preeminent experts in their field of dream interpretation and and other fields as well. But in the midst of all of that, they all discover through Daniel and his witness this very important thing. According to the old Hebrew proverb, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's true wisdom. And Daniel's fear of Yahweh… It produced a very different perspective than Babylon's perspective. Now, it was a very respectful and gracious and intelligent and discretionary perspective. Daniel acts with uh, complete integrity, but it's a different perspective. Daniel's legacy I want to call one of bestowed preeminence. Daniel was not trying to make his name great. He was not trying to be great. Daniel was trying to be faithful. And in response to Daniel's faithfulness, God essentially made him great. Now, these wise men, this, this wise men class of Babylon, uh, they were learned scholars. They were trained experts in the highly important field of divination and dream interpretation. They took it. This wasn't just like hocus pocus stuff. This was almost a science for them, uh, kind of like our NASA scientists, or think of psychologists, think of lawyers, think of jazz musicians. Only they know what they're doing, and they know it, right? It's, they're kind of like a class in and of themselves, and they take pride in that, Right? They operate in obscurity, and, and, and they're the best at what they do. Um, those wise men in that day, they applied to dreams sort of a, an empirical system of interpretation. So, they would search these long reference manuals of past dreams in history and what the outcomes of those dreams in real life were. So, they had this systematized manual of past dreams and past outcomes, and and they made for every contingency and every possibility, okay? And so, they would look at that systemized list. They'd look at every possible outcome uh, to this dream based on previous dreams and what their outcomes were. Okay, so, so imagine today's lawyers researching volumes of historical court decisions in order to try and figure out how to best approach a case they're dealing with today, right? So these dream interpreters, these wise men, became experts in their field, provided they had the information on what the dream was about, right? They were experts, but the, pro- but the expert needed a dream to interpret They needed facts of the person's dream so that they could go to the manuals and try and figure out what might the contents of this new dream be all about, what might they result in. But the king wouldn't tell them, right? The king says, I'm not telling you what I dreamed. So you see, for the king, for Nebuchadnezzar, the stakes were way too high. This was his life, this was his legacy, this was human history, this was his city, this was his kingdom, this was his government, this was his world. Right? The stakes were too high, and he's essentially saying to these wise men, look, if you guys are worth the weight of all the food I'm feeding you, you're going to know what I dreamed. Right? I'm not playing around. This is far too important. You're going to tell me what I dreamed, and then I'll believe your interpretation. Right? Otherwise, if look at it from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. Otherwise, he knows they're just going to plug in some past outcomes of somebody else's dreams uh, to the details of his own today. And he wasn't ready to trust in that. So, he tells them the impossible. He like, you're going to tell me what I dreamed or you're all going to die. <laughs> and, and, and they said what's, what's obvious and what's true, they said, King, nobody, can, nobody on earth can do this except the God's and we have no access to them, right? But God revealed that special knowledge that was only in Nebuchadnezzar's mind. He revealed it to Daniel because of Daniel's faithfulness. And that's so important to understand. Daniel's legacy is his faithfulness, not his success. We look at Daniel as Americans. We're obsessed with success. And we look at Daniel, and we look at his successes. Daniel, like most true prophets, The faithful prophets, it was not about their success, it was about their faithfulness. That's the legacy of Daniel, his faithfulness to the God whom he believed in. And Daniel was elevated by this God because Daniel was faithful. And Daniel was humble, and Daniel asked his friends to pray And Daniel was wise in how he approached the king's guard and the king himself. And Daniel's amazing answer, you know, he basically says what the wise men said. He says, King, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. you got to (laughs) wonder, how am I going to say this to the king? King, nobody can do this, right? He essentially says the same thing that all the wise men said, but he has a different response. He says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and He has made known to the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar, what will, what will be in the latter days. Right? God has revealed to you, O king, what is about to take place after you. And this amazing information that God had plans to set up His own kingdom that would outlast all kingdoms, that would exist forever, that must have brought great comfort to this refugee, Daniel, who had been taken away from everything he knew and loved. And this brought great comfort to the Jews that would follow Daniel who for centuries had to exist under one form of subjugation after another. These empires would all rule over the people of Israel, and this must brought them such comfort to know that God was building His own kingdom and had His own plans for the future. And this became the hope of the early church. And this should be your hope. This is the hope of all Christians ever since, that as nations rise and fall, as movements come and go, God's plans are in motion. And so the question I have to ask us today is, what will our legacy be? What are we trying to build with our lives? What are other people trying to build in this world that we are contributing our efforts and resources and thinking and devotion to? Whose legacy will you attach yourself to? If it's not your own legacy, whose legacy are you joining in that it will succeed, that it will be remembered by your children and grandchildren, that it will be remembered a century from now, a millennia from now? Whose legacy will you attach yourself to, or have you already done so? Look, the lesson from today cannot be, hey, pray, believe, And you'll be able to interpret dreams too. (laughs) No, this, this, this is what we need to get out of this today. If God has plans, okay, let me just say that again. If God has plans, if the creator of the universe, if the Lord of human history, if your maker has his own plans, then what should we make of our own? If he has plans, what should we make of the plans that our leaders and our heroes talk about? Like Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, I would suggest to you that we also, you know, instead of looking back at old Nebi and laughing at him, I think we should look at Nebuchadnezzar and see ourselves in him, right? We, we shouldn't just see ourselves in Daniel. We need to see ourselves in this king and his plans and his hope in his plans. I think we're just as consumed and worried about what we're building now as the Babylonians were. The reigns of our administrations here in the United States, one administration, one you know, one session of Congress, one White House administration after another, I think we're obsessed about their plans and their hopes of providing a better America than the America they inherited. Isn't that the language we hear from them every four to eight years? I think we look at the lives, the private lives of our celebrities, our heroes, and we're obsessed with what they're thinking and how they live and and what clothes they wear and what they name their children. We look at our sports teams and we're obsessed with with how they're going to win. Right, you, you can go online, you can find podcasts and articles and shows w- analyzing the potential minutiae of every play that will take place in tonight's Super Bowl. There are experts with essentially PhDs in, in understanding sports and, and trying to predict the outcome of the next game. We're obsessed with these things. And it all gives us a lot to wonder about and to think about and to theorize about and to worry about. All of this, all of the stuff we're obsessed with and we're looking at and we're putting our hope on, it gives us a lot to worry about as it did the king, right? The most powerful man in the world, and, and he's up at night worried, frightened because of a dream. Are we much different than that? Well, God, the God of the Bible, the God of Daniel invites us, as I've been saying, to question ourselves, to question our motives, to question what we're hoping in. The God of the Bible invites you to question where your hope lies and redirect your hope towards Him, all right? Another comment on the partly strong and partly brittle nature of the fourth kingdom. Now, the fourth kingdom in the book of Daniel will not be revealed. It will not be given an identity. We have the benefit of looking back on history to see that everything the book of Daniel will, will, will reveal about the nature of this fourth kingdom of iron and clay will match up beautifully with all the complexities of the history of the Roman empire. That is amazing and it will be amazing as we look into it. For now, it's hidden and it would remain hidden from Daniel, that fourth kingdom. And yet, and yet, that's the kingdom that Daniel says is going to be partly strong and partly brittle. Now, commenting on that nature of this fourth kingdom, the, um, the Oxford mathematician in his wonderful treatment on the book of Daniel against the flow, he makes this comment about this, this powerful yet weak nature of the fourth kingdom. He says, there is a deep flaw in human nature, but humans still perversely insist on placing their faith in it. And then he quotes the, uh, the old philosopher Ludwig Feuerbach, who essentially, and now this, this was a philosopher whose beliefs highly influenced a lot of people that our own society uh, has been built upon. Uh, The humanism of Charles Darwin, of Karl Marx, of Sigmund Freud, of Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, they're all influenced by this man who essentially said, this was his mantra, and Lennox quotes him, man is man's God. That is the legacy of, of how we live today in our society. It is that legacy. Man is man's God. It's called secular humanism. The idea is man is the measure of all things. Humanity, we are the measure of all things. Not some God in heaven, we're all we have. We're broken, but we're our only hope. That's secular humanism. Now, some some of you may be saying, oh, I don't think that way. Well, you actually might. Because all societies do, all societies have always thought that way, but just in different ways. In, it comes in different forms. It looks different. Look, if, if what you think about this nation's legacy, if what you think about uh, the dynamics of justice and injustice, if what you think about money or sexuality or anything, if what you think about these things that are most important to you, if what you think about them is preeminent, then, then you've made you the measure of all things. If your opinion is preeminent, if your interpretation of the facts is preeminent, if your plans, if your desires, if your goals, if your opinion is preeminent, you've made you the measure of all things. What some conquerors have done with armies and what some despots have done with monuments to their own glory, you've done in your heart. And we look at others and we worship them in awe of the good they've accomplished. Or we hate them in disgust of the bad that they have accomplished. And in the rising and in the falling of such people and such movements, we either find our hope or we find our despair. And yet we remain ignorant of God's plans unless He reveals them to you. Unless He reveals His plans to you. God has a legacy. And the grace and the beauty of the Bible and the story of its salvation is that the God of the universe, though He has no obligation to do so, has chosen to reveal His marvelous plans to us if we will listen. God's legacy is one of inherent preeminence. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to be great. Daniel was just trying to be faithful, and in a sense God made him great. But God is truly great. God simply is great. His greatness is unstoppable, and His greatness will be revealed. At the culmination of human history. He wants His greatness to be revealed for His glory, yes, and for our good. In the Psalms, there is, there is this wonderful passage in Psalm 118 about God's anointed Messiah who would come to restore all things for the people of Israel And it's described, he is described in Psalm 118 as the stone that the builders rejected. You see, this this would be a leader whose greatness was not obvious, whose greatness in a sense was hidden, was not what was expected. But the psalmist would say the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, or as Isaiah says, the foundation stone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It makes me think of that stone that was cut out, not by the hands of a human being that rose to become a mountain that filled the earth and broke all the the broken kingdoms of this world, the imperfect kingdoms to pieces. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Speaking of God's anointed, well, the greatness of God's plans are sometimes hidden from us and unexpected. They're not what we expect. They're not what we would naturally be proud of if we're thinking like Nebuchadnezzar would have thought. But they are nonetheless great plans and they will come to fruition because they're God's plans and He is behind them and He intends to see them through. God's (laughs) man… God's leader, God's Messiah, did not immediately look great, was not recognizable, the Bible says, for His beauty and His impressiveness, didn't own a single thing, didn't write a single book, didn't leave anything etched in stone on walls for people to find like Nebuchadnezzar did. And yet, the kingdom of God, we have discovered, With a Christian perspective, looking back on the New Testament, the kingdom of God in time became the mountain that filled the whole earth. And Jesus said something very interesting during His earthly ministry. It's recorded in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 20. Um, Jesus's uh, critics, the religious leaders, were criticizing Him. They wanted to know where he was getting the authority to do and say the things he was doing and saying uh, because uh, they considered him a threat to their own authority. And Jesus' response was interesting. He said, he actually quoted Psalm 118 about the stone. He said, haven't you heard this? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. But then he said this, everyone who falls on that stone Will be broken to pieces. You see what he was doing there? First of all, looking at Psalm 118, Jesus was declaring, I am the stone that the builders rejected, but has become the foundation. I, the rejected, will be victorious. And he was. The Roman cross and then the empty tomb proved that the stone the builders rejected had become the foundation stone. But then, making this direct reference to Daniel chapter 2 saying, how you look on me, if you stumble on me, if you reject me, you will be broken into pieces. He's saying, I am the stone cut by no human hand whose kingdom will fill the whole earth and will last forever. The promise that God made through Abraham to bless all people groups through Abraham's seed. The promise God made to David saying, Somebody will live on your throne whose kingdom will never end. Daniel is now given yet another detail of this amazing plan that God had. And Jesus is saying, I'm the stone, it's me. And I've said this in the past, you can either trip over Jesus and stumble over him because he is an offense to you and you cannot perceive his greatness, or you can stand on Jesus. You can stand on his greatness and truly live as Daniel did. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as the New Testament says, is is the revelation of the mysteries of God. What Daniel could not even see, although he's just given a taste of it, we now look back in history and see the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the growth of his church as he said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, his kingdom even now fills the earth and is advancing. We look around and go, nobody wants to be a Christian in America, and yet the gospel is exploding in other places in the world. The stone is growing larger and larger as it fills the earth, and God is revealing even to this day that the ultimate revelation of His plans is in His Son, Jesus Christ. You wonder, why do we not keep getting, why, do we, why, is, why did the Bible end 2,000 years ago? Because Jesus is the final revelation in human history of the nature of God and His plans. That's why we're waiting for Jesus to come back, because we want to be a part of the end of the story. God invites us to find in Jesus the wisdom we need For living through uncertain times. He wants us to find in Jesus the grace. The forgiveness and love that we don't deserve. He wants us to find in Jesus the grace. To get through difficult times. He wants us to find in his son. The hope. To carry us through. Uncertain times. While the world makes its plans. God reveals his own while the world will continue to build its legacy as leaders come and go, as movements come and go, yeah, as nations come and go, right? It's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to be like the statue. Every nation, every nation is going to be like that statue. It'll have its time and its time will pass. And that responsibility and that glory, it'll be given to somebody else. A 100 years from now, 200 years from now, 1,000 years from now, what are people going to see when they visit the United States of America or whatever it's called by then? They'll probably see some amazing monument and museum dedicated to the glory of the United States Constitution. Maybe there'll be a baseball museum. I hope there's a jazz museum. But what will your legacy be? What will the legacy of the American church be be? Is it going to be like Nebuchadnezzar's legacy? Or is it going to be part of the mountain that has grown to fill the earth, guided by God's plans for his legacy to be revealed in human history? Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar wanted to be great. Like much of humanity, he intended to be great. Daniel didn't want to be great. He was just trying to be faithful. And God made him great, but that wasn't the point. I'm sure peop, his own people, the people around him didn't think he was great. You'll see later, they tried to get rid of him. <laughs> but Jesus is truly great. So enjoy him, live through him, live by his promises and who he is. Hope in Jesus, look at his greatness. Let Jesus be your measure of greatness, let Jesus be your standard. For what true greatness is, let Jesus be your standard for what a legacy should look like, and let 's see in Jesus how God will reveal the ultimate installments of his plan for human history let 's pray, Father, we are uh, we are little people. Um, We, in the grand scheme of things, uh, will probably not be remembered for anything. Uh, But, Father, if we are remembered, may it be because we have found greater hope in Jesus than in anything or anyone else. May Jesus uh, be our standard for greatness. May we see true greatness in His sacrificial death, in His wisdom that He revealed to us to love one another and to love you above all things. Uh, Father, just just help us to be faithful. We'll let you worry about who's going to be great and who's going to be considered great after we're gone. Uh, Help us to be faithful to you and help us to find hope and joy and goodness in Jesus. In His name, amen.